You're listening to conference coverage on ReachMD, captured on location at the Physician Advisor and Medical Director Summit in Orlando, Florida. Your host is Dr. Prathima Seti, obstetrician, gynecologist, and a fellow of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Hello, this is Dr. Prathima Seti with ReachMD, and I'm here at the Physician Advisor and Medical Director Summit in Orlando, Florida. I'm here with Dr. Simon Ataridis, the National Clinical Advisor, Chief Medical Officer, and Chief Medical Officer of Advisory Services of Sound Physicians. And he's here to discuss the new world of total knee replacements. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Ataridis. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Ataridis, what happened to total knee replacements and the inpatient-only list? Can you briefly explain? Sure. CMS provided guidance that as of January 1st, 2018, total knee replacements will no longer be on the inpatient-only list. And the inpatient-only list is a list of procedures that regardless of length of stay, regardless of the traditional metrics of medical necessity, are considered inpatient-only procedures. That is, the patient is admitted, they receive the procedure, and they are in an inpatient status. Medicare Part A is billed regardless of how long the patient is in the hospital or what other medical needs they might have. CMS continually evaluates this list and determines whether a procedure should remain on the inpatient-only list. And total knee replacements are something that have seen tremendous advances, both in the perioperative care and also in the ORs, where length of stay has dropped off tremendously. And we've gotten very good at providing this procedure efficiently, decreasing complications. CMS has certain metrics they use to evaluate whether a procedure can come off the inpatient-only list. There's five traditional categories. Interestingly, knee replacements didn't meet all five of these categories. They are arguably procedures that can be handled by outpatient department, but it is the only CPT code in its class that has been removed from the inpatient-only list, and it is not being routinely performed in ambulatory surgical centers. But regardless, CMS did elect to remove it from the inpatient-only list. What this means is that when this procedure is done in hospitals, it will no longer automatically count as a DRG, and it might be billed out as an outpatient procedure. So, Dr. Atardis, what is the impact of this for providers, for patients, for hospitals? What is your opinion on that? So, it's interesting. It will have tremendous impact, and the magnitude of that impact is unclear. First, with respect to hospitals, the DRG payments for knee replacements are significantly higher than the what we call APC payments for outpatient procedures for knee replacements. The hit to hospitals will be anywhere from two to potentially as much as fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in decreased reimbursement. And when we also consider the bundle payment program, some of the healthier patients that might be part of the bundle payment program will now be removed from the denominator. And there may be some reconciliation for that. For surgeons, what it will mean is that they will have to help guide the decision of whether a patient is an observation patient or inpatient and help to justify the appropriate status of that patient. And for patients, what it will mean is if they undergo this procedure, they may be billed as an outpatient and may be subject to additional co-payments and additional costs, and they might also lose some traditional benefits that they would have under inpatient status, such as having a SNF coverage benefit if they require three midnights of hospitalization. The big question, though, is how many of these patients will remain in inpatient status and how many will 
be converted to a outpatient status. And that's where there's a lot of debate. And also, what rules will we use to determine whether a patient is inpatient or outpatient? That also has been an area of intense debate. So, Dr. Atardas, that is good to know that not all TKAs are automatically considered outpatient. How does one determine if a TKA will remain inpatient or if it is, in fact, outpatient? So, when a procedure comes off the inpatient-only list, all that means is that the least restrictive setting is not the inpatient status. It doesn't mean that the procedure cannot be done in the inpatient status. And again, CMS, in their guidance, indicated that they do not expect a significant number of these procedures to go to the outpatient status. They didn't give any specifics about that. In terms of what guidance do we have and how do we determine whether someone is inpatient or outpatient, CMS continually pointed to the two-midnight rule in their guidance. And the interpretation that we're hearing from multiple groups is that if a patient is expected to require two midnights of hospitalization after their procedure, that they would qualify for inpatient status. And there's not a lot of debate on that. If I have a reasonable suspicion that this patient in this facility is going to have a two midnight stay, it's appropriate to designate that patient as a inpatient. Where there is a lot of debate and discussion is around case-by-case exceptions. CMS says for patients that require less than two minutes of hospitalization on a case-by-case basis, those patients can be evaluated for consideration for inpatient status. And when we consider some very high-performing joint center programs, they actually send a disproportionate share of their patients home after a single midnight and are particularly susceptible to seeing a tremendous drift in their volume to outpatient status. And what is less clear is how do we justify a case-by-case exception to the two-midnight rule? There are criteria that would make a case inpatient regardless of a two-midnight stay and some traditional metrics. However, a lot of the guidance around those case-by-case exceptions dealt with acutely ill patients that had life-threatening conditions that is not the population that we're talking about. A total knee replacement is always a elective procedure in a otherwise medically stable patient. Extrapolating prior guidance on case-by-case exceptions is a tremendous challenge with total knee replacements. And likewise, the different stakeholders have had very different opinions about how to apply it. Some professional societies have advocated that it is the onus of the provider to justify why the patient is safe to be outpatient And on the other end of the spectrum, some compliance agencies have advocated that there should only be a strict application of the two-midnight rule with no case-by-case exceptions. That that is, all patients are outpatient unless the patient is anticipated to have a two-midnight stay based on their comorbidities. In your opinion, what further guidance is needed from CMS? There's not a lot of debate about what happens if a patient stays for two-midnight. Where there is tremendous debate is if I am in a center that provides high-quality, efficient care and I'm sending most of my patients home after one midnight, can I apply the case-by-case exception? And if so, by what criteria? Again, this is a bit of untested waters. We haven't really had prior precedent here for applying a case-by-case exception to a non-acutely ill patient. So we're hoping to see from CMS or the QIOs, the quality improvement organizations that help administer the Medicare plan, is guidance on what would qualify as a case-by-case exception to the two-midnight rule in the area of hip replacements. And I think that 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 guidance is going to be particularly important, or again, we might see a significant drift of patients from the inpatient setting to the outpatient setting 
particularly at centers that do perform this procedure in high volume and with very good outcomes. So Dr. Atardis, what advice do you have for providers? This seems like this is going to be a change, um, especially for those providers who perform these procedures quite a bit. So one of the critical things is going to be good documentation. When a patient is on the inpatient-only list, again, regardless of what we document, the traditional merits of the case, they are inpatient. Now we're going to be judging whether a patient will require inpatient status based on the documentation of the provider. And the two components that really must be present is what is the expectation of the patient's stay? Do we expect this patient is going to stay for two midnights or more? And why do we expect that that patient's going to stay for two midnights or more? So we're also going to have to articulate what comorbidities does this patient have that might warrant a two midnight stay as opposed to a healthier, younger patient? So clear documentation of medical comorbidities, clear documentation of anesthesia risk, documentation of any other conditions that make this case more challenging, everything from having competent caregivers at home, having support at home, pre-existing gait, functional issues. All this is going to be critically important to document in the chart to give the patient an appropriate status. So documentation is key. That's good to know. Do you have any final thoughts on this subject? Well, one of the things I think hospitals are going to need to do and soon is really understand their own internal performance and really reach out to providers and make sure that they understand the implications of this. And this really will require a multidisciplinary effort. It's going to require efforts from the OR staff, the orthopedic surgeons, the medical providers that provide pre-op clearances for the patients, and the anesthesiologists to accurately portray the patient and make sure that the patient is presented in the most valid and accurate fashion. And again, I think it is important for systems to take a look at this. It could be a big financial hit to some institutions. They should understand what this means for them. And also, in terms of what to expect next from CMS, it certainly looks like other joint replacement procedures may soon follow similar guidance. One last thought that I have is just in terms of the type of change that we saw, the Federal Register provided about 5,000 words of guidance when it removed total knee replacements from the inpatient-only list. What I hope is that this isn't a sign of what's to come. Traditionally, when procedures have been removed from the inpatient-only list, it's been a lot simpler, a lot cleaner. If we do have multiple changes like this with a great deal of nuance and great deal of complexity in terms of understanding whether they should be inpatient or outpatient, it is going to make the healthcare landscape much more confusing for both patients, providers, and for systems. And I expect that we'll see a great deal of disagreement and conflict over what proper assignments are. And what we hope is that we'll have cleaner, more specific guidance from the Federal Register and the QIOs. Well, thank you for explaining that new change in total knee replacements, Dr. Tardis. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to conference coverage on ReachMD. For more highlights from this and other meetings around the world, visit ReachMD.com. ReachMD, be part of the knowledge.